I don't, you might have mixed feelings about New Year's. New Year's Day, some people love New Year's Eve, some people love going out New Year's night, New Year's Eve night, and some people hate it. Um, when I hear the word New Year's, I'm probably a little bit, grumpy is the wrong word, but it doesn't excite me. New Year's Eve parties don't excite me. New Year's Eve, like, stay out really late. I say really late, midnight's probably not that late. I just want to be in bed sometimes. But the word new does intrigue me. The word new has been on my mind quite a lot recently. When I hear new, it's a, a word that sometimes can uh, excite us, sometimes it can scare us. I don't know about you, when you get, if you've ever had a, a new present, or maybe you've been privileged to get, a, or blessed enough to be given a new car, or something like that, it's exciting. It's really exciting. But also, it can scare you. I don't know if you've ever had a new job, and you feel, oh, if you're anything like me, I can get a bit daunted when I go into new jobs. I remember I was scared when I started here. I remember I was like, oh, we've moved from just north of London to rural Norfolk. I call this rural Norfolk, even if you don't. Um, it's, I remember feeling like even the surroundings felt a bit nervous for me. It's a new area, coming into a new church where we didn't really know anyone beforehand. It was a bit scary, and it made me feel a bit anxious. And I think the word new can do that for us. It's got this kind of like polar opposites, doesn't it? Like, yes, a new car. Oh, new job. That's how it can feel for me. And also, when it comes to things like New Year's, obviously, New Year's Day tomorrow, it's that time we go, it's time to start a new thing. There's that phrase, which I don't particularly like, but funnily enough, I actually called to preach this, New Year, New Me. And I'm like, yeah, New Me, really? And I'm like, okay, let's pump myself. I don't know, has anyone ever set a New Year's resolution? Put your hand up if you have. A few of you gone, it, we're, a, we're a family church. Shout out some of your New Year's resolutions that you've maybe just even attempted. Eat less. Paul is straight on it. Eat less, Paul. From what you've told me, you failed on that one. So that's okay. Uh, anything else? Any other new... Not to haul too much. Oh. Don't point at Lorraine when you're saying clearing out rubbish. That's not Okay. Anything else? Any other New Year's resolutions that you've tried? Give up smoking. Give up smoking. Brilliant. Anything else? Exercise. Exercise. Wonderful. I was talking to Lay about New Year's resolutions, and here's just a couple of ones I've tried. Some of you said already, when we lived in just north of London, I tried to set that I'm going to walk to work. So January the 2nd came, I think it was, or maybe the 3rd, if it, depending on how it fell. And I was pumped. I got up and I was ready. I don't know about you, but I looked outside and I thought, day one, I can do this. It was a bit bleak. But I thought, let's go for it. So I walked to work on day one, successful, really good. You can give me a clap for doing one day. So good. Day two came around, still bleak. I thought, oh, I'm not really enjoying this. I do have a car outside. I could drive. But I thought I'd give it a go. So day two, went for it. Got there, got back. Wonderful, thanks, thanks very much for a couple of claps because you know where this story is going because I am a failure in this one. And then, day three, it started to rain and I thought, I don't know about you, do you know you're really good at making excuses for yourself? Oh, raining, else, what's one day going to make a difference? So I got in a car and I drove. What a letdown. And because I did it one day, that excuse became... And that was, I probably walked a handful of times throughout the whole year to work and I'd sat out, was so excited... So excited about what I was going to do for this New Year's, uh, for my New Year's resolution. The second one, Paul, you said to eat less. I was like, I'm going to eat healthier. Day one, 
New Year's Day, I went to my mum's house. It's dangerous going to your mum's house, isn't it? Because there's always food. You go back to that little kid stage, you run to the fridge, you open the fridge, you see what's there, you don't even ask and you eat it. And then you get told off because it was saved for a special occasion. But day one, mum said, oh, we haven't got much in today. That was a lie because there's stuff in the fridge. So let's get some chips from the chip shop. Day one, I failed to eat healthier. I had chips. I don't know about you, sometimes you new year, new me, and you're full of excitement. You're full of ready to go, and you make an excuse, and you fail. That's my story of New Year's resolutions. I don't actually think I've made a whole year on anything I've tried to achieve like that. There's always an excuse. I was talking to Lay, and she said recently she read that on average, New Year's resolutions last for 16 to 17 days. That is rubbish, isn't it? Like... The 16th of January, I've had enough. I can't do any more. 16 to 17 days. Although it did make me feel a little bit less bad about my attempts of a couple of days and one day. Um, but that's just what comes at this time of year. This new year, new me. Let's set something, let's go. But I was thinking a bit more about the word new. And what really, when I hear this new word, there's a passage in 2 Corinthians 5 that springs to mind every time when I hear the word new year or new me or new. And I'm just going to read just one verse, and I'll come to read it later on, the whole passage. Verse, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We're going to read later on 2 Corinthians 5, 14 to 21. And the whole passage, and, yet, and just that verse alone, has huge implications for us. Huge. It should change our heart position, our belief, and our thinking. Everything about us should be transformed by that verse. It's such an amazing verse. It has so much in it for us. And the whole passage is an incredible, incredible demonstration of God's, an explanation of God's love and mercy. And for us, we're a new creation if we're in him. I'm going to read 2 Corinthians 5, 14 to 21. It's from the NIV, if you did want to follow along. For Christ's love compels us. Because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So, from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are are a new creation. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has not committed to us, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, and through God we are making his appeal, uh, through God we were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who, who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteous of God, righteousness of God. It's an amazing passage, and we're going to journey our way, uh, take a journey through that passage today. But I, when I read that passage, first of all, I was like, oh, there's loads of things about us. But then I paused for a moment, and I asked God, and I was like, yeah, there is loads of things about us. But the root of it is what he has done for us. And it blew me away just spending some time just in that passage just thinking, wow, look at what God has done for me. We see three things we're going to pick up on. He saves, he transforms, and he commissions. 
In this passage alone, we see these things. He has saved us if we're in Christ. He has transformed us if we're in Christ. And he has commissioned us if we're in Christ. But before we journey into that, I just want to... I actually woke up this morning with something on my heart to do with this. And, I, and it does come up later on, but I just really wanted to re-emphasize it now. God just said to me, this really needs to be beyond our head knowledge. It needs to be head, heart, and everything about us. It needs, this passage needs to consume our thinking. We are a new creation. We don't just need to believe it, we need to live it. If God really has made us new, that has to transform who we are. That has to transform our actions and our speech. That has to be transformed the way we think about ourselves and others. That has to transform what we think about him. It has to transform us. It also, God really spoke to me this morning about, we cannot be defined by our past. Like if we are a new creation, and we'll come on to later on what that really looks like, we can't be defined by who we were. We're defined by God. We're his children. We're his, we, we are loved by him. There's so, I don't know if you've ever done, um, I, what's it called? It's gone up my head. Uh, it's, really gone, it's a really good course. Um, something like, I don't need Jesus. It's really good. I'll think of it by the end of this preach. And it's so good. There's this, Hannah's, freedom in Christ. Thanks, Hannah. Freedom in Christ. There's these sheets that you can print off. And it's truths about yourself. Who, but it's not something we've come up with. It's what the Bible says about you. It's what God says about you. So we can't be defined by our past, God said to me this morning. If you're a new creation, you're defined by who he says you are. And for it all, the most amazing thing is that he has done it all. It wasn't our own efforts and our own striving that got us to be a new creation. It's what he did for us. So let's journey through this passage together. We're going to start by looking at the first point is that he saves. Or if you're in Christ, he is saved. Um, if you notice in verse 17, I'll just quickly read verse 17 again. It's the key verse. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. And I don't know, but do you ever hear preachers say this all the time? If there's a therefore, what is it therefore? That is like the most common phrase that preachers say. And it makes me laugh every single time because I'm like, yeah, we've heard that one now. Um, so yeah, but it's a really good point. Why was this, this verse written? Well, it's a therefore to, to help us, and it jumps back to verse 14 to 15. It says this, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and, all, and, all there, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who shall live no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So when we look at this, we... We see in this passage that our new creation doesn't come, as I said, because we strove to do something. It's through Jesus' death and resurrection. It says it right there. Because one died for all, and that's referring to Jesus. We're a new creation because Christ died for you. Because Jesus died for you. It's amazing, isn't it? That we become a new creation, not because I've done anything, but because Christ has done something for me. Because God has done something for me. So we need to understand that the context of us being a new creation it's because of what he has done, not because I'm so good at striving to do something. I am saved. I am a new creation because of what, has, what God has done for me. And he says he died for all. And I don't know uh, if you're a Christian here today or you're not. You're, 
Everyone is welcome here today. And I just want to quickly run through it. It says, he's died for What does that say, being saved really look like? So I don't know if you know the story of the Bible, but essentially creation took place. I love that essentially creation took place. It's quite a big thing, creation. Essentially creation took place, and then we live in as mankind with God, and things are going pretty well. In fact, it's perfect. And then what we do is we reject God, and we listen to the enemy. In, the, in, the, in Genesis, it comes along in the form of a serpent, and it's the enemy, it's the devil. And in that moment, we eat this piece of fruit that we're told not to eat, and we in that moment, it wasn't just that we ate fruit. It was a, a moment of disobeying God. It's the first moment mankind disobeys God and rejects God. We turn away from him. We turn our back on him. And we say, we're going our own way. And we start striving to be God ourselves. And throughout the Old Testament, God is continually saying, I will save you. I will save you. I love you. I care for you. I will save you. And then Jesus comes, Jesus being God himself, the son of God, he comes and lives a perfect life, and we read it in the passage. He knew no sin, and he became sin for us. And when he's on earth, we reject him again, and we put him on a cross, and we say, do you know what? No, not good enough for me. You're like, we're just going to totally reject you. Jesus is killed on the, cro- on the cross. And in his death, he says, it is finished. That means a statement saying, sin has no more hold over you, and then he's He's died, he's put in a tomb, and this is really exciting, that he's put in a tomb, and then three days later he comes back to life, and he defeats death, he conquers death, he is made alive, which is really also important for this passage. And once more, we are offered the same in Jesus. All we have to do is realize who he is and what he's done, and say, you are king. You are king of my life, and I'm sorry. That's all you have to do. Now, I don't want to make it as simplistic for that because it will transform your life if you say yes to God. It will transform your life. It will give you hard times and challenging times. But it's the best thing you can do. And it's not achieved through anything you do. It's achieved through everything Jesus did for you. So that's the message. He died for all. If you don't know that story today and you don't believe Jesus died for you and is your saviour and he can forgive you and have eternity with him, I'm not going to ask you to respond now, but I'd love to chat to you afterwards. A few minutes, just to see where you're at. And I'm not going to pressurize you or anything like that, just to see where you're at and what you think about what I've been saying today. And then we get to this another great point, and we see that Jesus' death and resurrection simply didn't just forgive our sins. What we see is that we go from a place of death to life. Because it says in that passage, and I explained it in uh, the brief overview of the gospel, is that he died, therefore all of us died. Because we are in him. It's a bit strange, isn't it? I don't know about you. But if you're a Christian here today, I want to tell you, you have died. Isn't that a really weird concept? Like, you have died. If you're a Christian, if you believe Jesus is your saviour, he's your king, you have died. I, I just, it's weird. It's weird, but it's also so exciting, so beautiful, and so perfect, because there's no other way. There's no other way. It's so important for us. Jesus' death and resurrection didn't just take away our sins, didn't just offer us forgiveness. Essentially, we died, and we were raised to life in him. We are given that amazing gift through Jesus, and amazingly, it was the will of God. It wasn't because you really were screaming out, you need it. It was his will for your life. I'm just going to quickly read one, uh, two verses in John 1. John 1, verse 12 to 13. But all 
But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of the man, but of God. Isn't that amazing? In this passage we see in 2 Corinthians 5 that we are a new creation because of Jesus' death and resurrection on the cross. And in John 1, 12-13, we see that was God's will for you. Isn't that incredible? That God, creator of all things, all power, all authority, says, my will is to send my son to die for you so you can be saved and taken from a place of death to life. For me, that is incredible. Secondly, we see in this passage that God is a God who transforms. Back to verse 17 again. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. That is incredible. The old has passed away. What, what is that old way? Uh, the old way is our nature. The old way was full of death and reje- rejection. We see it again and again in our, in our lives, even now as Christians, we come on to why that, that still happens. But our nature is one of pride, where we gave ourselves credit for things what God has done. We show off. God hates pride, by the way. There's, uh, I don't know if you ever take a journey through Proverbs. There's verse and verse and verse, again, about how much I don't be proud, don't be prideful. And it's so true. Don't be prideful. But in fact, verse, even if you just wanted to look at one verse, Proverbs 8, verse 13, just clearly states how God hates pride. Be humble, God says. Lower yourself. And what the amazing thing in this passage is telling us, we don't need to be proudful anymore. Don't need to be proud, because we're a new creation. Instead of being full of pride, we are called to be humble. And that doesn't mean self-condemning. I know that's something um, I'm actually not very good at. I'm actually sometimes when I try to be humble, or I'm humble. I have a uh, there's something in me that condemns myself. That's not being humble. That's condemn- there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Not even one condemnation I put on myself. Being humble is lowering yourself, knowing that he is king. I'm going to love and serve him and serve others. Our old nature also was mastered by sin. We actually looked at this during the year, so I won't spend loads of time on it. But um, Romans 6 talks about we were no longer slaves to sin. Therefore, we were. If we are no longer slaves to sin, we must have been slaves to sin at some point. And there are other verses that totally back that up. And what being mastered by sin is, is when we, that story I told you about creation and the fall, when we rejected God, we went from God being the great, perfect, loving God who mastered our life to letting sin master us, which is horrible and leads to death and destruction. But in that moment, we turn away and sin becomes our master. And I want to put it to you today. If you're a Christian here today, before you're a Christian, I want to tell you sin did master your life. Even if you didn't realize it, sin is what drove you. Sin is what led you to do certain things. Desire for self, pride, and things like that. But as we read in that verse, the old nature of sin, being mastered by sin, has gone because we are no longer slaves to it. So we were, but if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. Sin is not your master. God is. Moving on. Another way of our old nature we see in the Bible is our love of self. 
slash our desire to be God, to be like God. Do you know sometimes you can love yourself a little bit where you're like, oh, I did really well there. That was so good. Like, you can be really pleased with yourself, can't you? And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that per se. But what I'm saying is there's a nature within us that loves ourselves. C.S. Lewis talks about um, something called self-justification. Um, and he talks about how when we see someone else do something, we can condemn it. But when we see ourselves do it, we make excuses because we love ourselves. We say that's an okay thing. And he, observed, when he, he wrote it when he's observing different people and their behaviors. And that's what we do because we love ourselves so much. We have this moment where we justify our actions, but we would condemn someone else doing the same thing. And we see it in the Bible as well in terms of our self-love. Even way back in the story of the Tower of Babel, basically these different community groups come together and they said, let's build a tower to make a name for ourselves. What an ultimate rejection of God that is. Creation of all things. Let's create something like God did and let's build a tower because we want to make a name for ourselves because we want to reject God because we love ourselves. So in the Bible, we see again and again and again, we love ourselves so we do things that story doesn't go so well for those people. If you don't know it, the tower is destroyed. The people are scattered amongst the nations. God says no, because he is the only one who should be worshipped and praised. So we love ourselves. I don't know about you, but there's some phrases that just naturally slip into some of the things we say that demonstrate how much we love ourselves. Now, if you say these phrases, I'm not here to condemn you for saying them. I'm just here to make you think, Where's my background coming from this? Where's my thought pattern for these? Things like, it's just who I am. When I say that about myself, sometimes I think, whoa, I'm really denying the transformative power of God to change me. It's just who I am. I can't, I can't help it. But I can. I can pray. I can say to God, please change this in me. Things like, uh, no one can tell me what to do. Really? My heart position there is like, it's all about me because I'm so good and I'm going to say what I'm going to do for my life. But actually, if we don't love ourselves, the transformative power of Jesus, we humble ourselves and we say, God, you tell me what to do with my life. I want to follow your plan. If I'm a new creation, that is my heart position. Things like, it's okay, I've said it to their face. That phrase, I don't know how often that comes into our, our saying sometimes and sometimes I think I get where we're coming from on that. But it's things like that one, I'm like, it's okay. I can behave how I want because I will self-justify my behavior. But really, I should be checking, have, is what I've said honoring to God? Because my heart position as a new creation doesn't love myself in a way where I'm number one. It loves God because he's number one. And finally, if we are old nature led us to hell. We don't often use that word at front in church, and I find that really weird, because like, it's just, just a blatant fact of the Bible. There's where we go for eternity with God, which is often called heaven in the Bible, and hell is also referred to as the place without God. We don't have time to go into the depths of what hell is, and we could do a whole massive series on what hell really is, but it is important to know it's real. It's important to know it's real, and our, our old nature led us to that place. Eternity without God. A rejection of him. And it's a horrific place. The Bible says some horrible stuff about it. But our old self leads us there. But the joy of it all is that it's this passage. It says, the old has gone. So that 
that isn't there anymore. If you're in Christ, all that is no more. It doesn't control you anymore. Hell is not your destiny anymore. What we see is a total change from death to life. The new has come. The new is here. And in the, in the, um, the Bible, it's like an exclamation mark after it. It's like Paul saying, the new is here. Come on, celebrate it. Celebrate it. That's where you were. And now you're alive in him. You were dead. Now you're alive. He's like, celebrate it. Do you, do, do you understand how transforming this is for you? Sometimes I look at myself and I'm so British. And I'm like, oh yeah, it's really good, isn't it? Well, I should be the first person to be saying, yes, thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. Thank you that I was an old creation. I was old and now I'm new. I'm a new creation. Thank you for what you have done for me. Now, celebrating doesn't necessarily have to be jumping and shouting and dancing. But my heart should be a heart of celebration for what he has done for me. Because we've had a total change. From death to life and life at its fullest. That is incredible. Our attitudes change. We picked up on some already, so I won't go through the ones we've already talked about. But our attitudes uh, change. We see in verse 14, right back where we first started, for Christ's love compels us. Our attitude has transformed from the old ways of loving ourselves to being controlled by the love of God. And God's love is perfect. God's love will not condemn you. God's love will not hurt you. He is loving and perfect. We're compelled by Christ's love. Things like seeing the kingdom of God extended by loving your neighbor. Be ready to love the person you, in your surroundings. Be ready for it. Our love of sin has changed. Sin was our master. It is no longer. Paul puts it in a great way. I don't know about you when you hear that verse. I'm no longer a slave to sin. I go, yes. Then I go, wait, I still sin. And I'm like, what's really going on here? If it's no longer my, my master, how am I still sinning? And what's really important is that it's who masters us. I'm not a slave to it anymore. Paul puts it in a great way. Um, I won't read the whole thing, but in summary it says, um, I know what I should do, and I want to do it. But... I don't always do it. I, do often, I often do what is wrong. That's basically what he's saying in this passage. And it's, it's really funny because if you read it, there's so many I do's and I don't's. For a dyslexic person, it's an absolute nightmare. It's really, that's probably the reason why I didn't read the whole passage, if I'm honest. But he says, I want to do this, which is good because I know it's good. But I do this, which is wrong. And he's like, why? And I look at that and I, I identify with that. But as a new creation, although I still mess up, My master is no longer sin. I am a new creation. I have been set free from that. I now worship God and live for him. Christ's love compels me to do what I want to do. We are not condemned. We are set free. And we're set free for a purpose, which is what we're going to move on to. As I said, where our destiny as our old nature, our old self was hell, When you give your life to God, your destiny is heaven. And you don't have to wait to be in heaven to spend eternity with him. He is with you right now. It's amazing. As we heard this morning, in the middle of the storm, he stands with you. He says, I love you. I love you. So finally, he commissions. I I love this passage at the end. It talks about... um, us being give the, given the message of reconciliation. 
In that moment, God is saying to you, if you're in him, I've got a purpose for you. God has so many purposes for your life. So many. If you read, read the Bible, you were doing the Bible in one year that starts tomorrow. If you, if you journey with us on that, there will be time and time again, you'll hear God talk to you about what his plans and purposes are for your life. But here we have it. One of them is I've given you, I'm entrusting you the message of reconciliation. I'm giving you that. I'm giving you it. So you, and it's a message because you have to pass it on. You can't keep it to yourself. It's a message I want you to pass on. In this moment, God has commissioned us to do something. And, I, and you might think, oh, well, how do we really do that? But in verse 20, it says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. So if you're in Jesus today, that just simply means that you love Jesus and that he's your king. You put your faith in him. He's called you to be his ambassador. Therefore, you are we are. There's not a question mark. If you're in Jesus, you are his ambassador. And we do that through our speech and our actions. I've already said one of them. We should have an attitude of celebration. And that doesn't mean, as I said, joyous. It um, doesn't mean like happiness, shouting around all the time. It means a heart of joy knowing what God has done for you. When you go through the hardest time, you might find it really difficult to be joyful. But there's amazing verses like the joy of the Lord is my strength. When we celebrate, as I said, it's not a dance always, it's not a shout of joy all the time, it's a heart position of I trust you, I love you, I know you've got the best for me, I know you have plans and purposes for my life, I know I'm a new creation, I know you have done it all, I will celebrate that you have transformed me from a place of death to a place of life. Our heart should always be a heart of worship of God. Now, I know we often call singing worship, but obviously worship is far greater than that. Every word of speech, every action, everything we do should be a a heart of worship to who he is. We need to let God take us and compel us there by his Holy Spirit. Lead us in a heart of worship. How else do we do it? Well, we love our neighbor. That's an amazing way of being an ambassador for God. I know there's people in this church who, um, are, that's one of their primary giftedness, like social action, caring for people, living for people, being generous, be, and that's not just with money, being generous in so many different ways. They get it. They're ambassadors for him by loving their neighbor. If you want to step out in that a bit more, a bit more social action, please speak to us because we've got some ideas in the background that we're thinking about. So if you'd love to be more involved in loving your neighbor, let us know because we've got some things going on as well. And finally, how do we do it? Well, in Ephesians 4, it says this. Ephesians 4, 22 to 24. Put off your old self, which belongs, to the former, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to, be put, um, to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So how, do we, how are we ambassadors for God? Well, daily we make the decision to put death, our old way, to death. To put it, it's died, it's gone. And put on newness of life. Now, just a quick note here. You might think these are a bit conf- conflicting passages. They're actually written by the same person. So either he didn't know what, understand what he's writing, but it, or he knew exactly what he's writing. He's saying, this has happened. You are a new creation, but... I know we're humans and I know we're going to mess up and we're going to find it really hard. So daily, daily put to death 
your old way and put on life. Put it on. Make a decision. Make your heart and your thinking go, I'm going to put on new life today. And as we close, I know we started off talking about New Year's resolutions and how I'm pretty bad at them. But maybe this year, just like I am, I'm going to make some New Year's resolutions and I'm going to try and not base them in losing weight or base them in walking to work. I'm going to base them in a place of intimacy as a new creation. I'm going to do the Bible in one year. You can keep me accountable to that. That's quite a dangerous thing to say from the front because if I mess up, like 200 people are going to come to me saying, you haven't done this. But I'm going to, that's what I'm going to commit to. I'm going to try personally, I'm going to try and develop my quiet times, my devotional times with God even more. And I'm going to try and be bold in telling the gospel. That's my ones. I, I do that as a place of openness and not a showing off, a place of openness with you so you can help me hold me accountable to them. I'm going to give you a moment now as the band come up just to play one more song for us. Just to take a moment to thank God that you are, if you're in Christ, you are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And take a moment to think, what could I commit to this year as a new creation? What target, what aim am I going to put in place that brings me into a more intimate relationship with God. Knowing my old has gone and my new has come.